Your life isn't happening because you have such a tight grip on it. Your life is happening because it's happening and your energy and your authenticity is driving it. And then you can be happy with your decisions and you can be happy with the way it's going. made it to the interview this morning. Uh, I feel like this is an accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, yeah, I've conquered this whole weekend of stomach flu running through every single person in my family, including myself. And you know what blows is that it's our second one in four weeks. How is that even a thing? I don't even know. It's gross. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a thing. It's like right now, anything and everything that could hit you, it's like you have plans. Here you go. You want to totally. have, you know, a full schedule. Here's the cove. Here, have it. For the first time in two years, here it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. You landed that really nicely a couple of weeks ago in the middle of trying to record. Oh, oh my gosh. Man. We just get, we're just getting to overcome all this stuff, you know? Um, uh, yeah. And like I told you yesterday, I'm in the middle of eating my lunch. And next thing you know, my entire left back molar breaks apart and I'm literally <laughs> spitting out pieces of tooth. <laughs> I could have cried. Honestly, I was so panicked. And you know me, I'm not a panicky person, but I literally sat there and I was like, what does this mean for me? Like, am I drinking through a straw for the next two weeks or am I allowed to eat? Um, and interestingly enough, I, I literally ran to see my manager and she goes, oh, are you 40 yet? Because two of mine disintegrated right at 40. And I went, I'm leaving. I can't have this conversation. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, you know what? Props to us showing up broken tooth and all. And, yeah. you know, GI stuff. Because it's really important that we get to share you. And we get to share your passions. And, you know, I think a lot of people, anybody who knows you, knows what your passion is. One of your biggest passions. Maybe the biggest passion which is horses. And so that's where I want to start today with you is talking a little bit about uh, the beginning. When did you first fall in love with horses? What did that look like? How did this begin? Oh, girl, like we could talk about this for the next 10 years, as you know, my thing for horses, like you said, it's like the thing. It's the thing in my life. And I can't even explain it in any other way. Any time that I'm with a horse, it doesn't matter whether I'm riding, I'm brushing, I'm looking at them, even just watching them. Okay, funny story. The Super Bowl. <laughs> if I'm watching the Super Bowl, the only time I'm literally zenned out is when the Budweiser Clydesdales come on. Okay? Is you, that don't watch it, you don't watch it for the Super Bowl. You're watching no. it for the horses. Yeah. Uh, My wait. husband's joke. Someone asks if I've seen a movie. Or, and he's like, is that the one with the white horse? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when Jumanji came out, I watched the preview and I went, wow, it has a black Frisian in it. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. So that's my gauge. If there's beautiful horses in it, I'll watch it. That's Perfect. actually how I ended up watching Lord of the Rings. Because I was like, mm, that's a magnificent horse. I could get into this. Oh my gosh, this is hilarious. <laughs> so, okay. So that's all the jokes aside. This is in my DNA. Like, I have no doubt I was born with this. Neither of my parents had any sort of passion for horses. They were, you know, business-orientated people who were 
kind of city life in Switzerland. That's where I grew up until I was 10. And my mom's joke was always, if you don't know where Mona is, just listen. And if there's the sound of shoes on pavement, because that's Switzerland, then just follow that sound. And there I would be on the street corner, just in awe of whatever horse that was. Color didn't matter. Size didn't matter. What they were doing didn't matter. And that is still me today. Straight up. Clearly, because your movie choice (laughs) depends on if there's horses in it or not. I love it. Absolutely. Do you have a first recollection of being that little girl in a corner? Do you have like a specific memory or do you just know that's what your mom kind of said and you just knew that that's where you were all the time? You know, I don't have specific memories, but, but I do remember that that hoofbeat on pavement. It is like such a Zen sound for me. And I do, I follow it. I literally follow it. And I still do that. We could be in Vegas and I hear the clippity clop of the hooves in those little carriages. And that's where I'm going to go. That's just where I'm going to go. I love it. (laughs) Follow, follow the horse manure. You'll find Mona. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, And Uh, I'll be covered in manure too. And not, not an issue. I love it. So you were a little girl, you were in Switzerland, you loved horses, you would go watch them. And then so did you get to have a lot of interaction with horses in Switzerland or did that take you moving to Canada? So our neighbors in Switzerland had horses and I learned to ride there and I got into what's called vaulting. The way you start riding in Switzerland, Europe in general, is much different than here. And so in, in Europe, it's a little bit more of an organized thing. And you begin with what's called vaulting, where someone else is in control of the horse and you get to do gymnastics. You have to learn to do gymnastics on a horse to the point of handstands, headstands. It's actually a world equestrian sport. And it's either one person or you can do it with a team of people on this huge horse cantering around in a circle. So what you learn is to to have all your balance and all of your movement on a horse independent of holding on to their mouths. And it's a brilliant way of teaching riding. So, you know, every day I went over to the neighbors and I sat in the field with the horses and every day for my vaulting lesson, you know, I was there, I was already there all day anyway. And, you know, I would have my vaulting lesson. So that was my, my introduction to horses. And then my parents decided to move to Canada and they had four kids bless their hearts. I don't know how they did it. Anyway, that's a whole different conversation. We're going to get into that one day. So I was 10. My brother was eight. My little sister was two and a bit. And my other brother was one and a bit. And it was the Christmas before the year before we moved and or going to move. And my parents gifted me with my first Western saddle. So I would have been nine years old. And you guys, we have pictures of me riding the Western saddle on the back of the couch every day. Every day I sat and then they had to make me a wooden horse that they would strap the saddle on and I would sit in it. Oh my gosh, this is the cutest thing ever. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how my parents dealt with it, but they did. And they were like, okay, that's what you want to do. Okay, go sit on your wooden horse, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then came the time where it was like, okay, family, we are taking you out of school. We are moving to Canada. You don't know English, but we're doing it. And, you know, people always ask me, oh, gosh, you know, you're 10 years old. That must have been a really tough transition. You have all your friends. You're integrated into your school because I was in grade four. And honestly, this is my dead to God honest answer every time. 
My parents told me that when we get to Canada, I just have to give them a couple months to settle in. And then I get to go choose a horse with my dad. He's going to buy me a real live, hairy, four-legged horse. (laughs) And guess what? I packed my crap and I was like, let's go. Like, hi, friends. You, I love you, but like, bye. There was no feelings of anything. And you guys, my, my, my grade four class came to the airport at five o'clock in the morning and we have pictures of them singing me a goodbye song. Oh my gosh. That is the sweetest thing. Oh, it was so wonderful. We had so many friends and family show up at like five o'clock in the morning at the airport, wishing us off to our journey. It was incredible. And yes, while that was, I have fond memories of that. All I remember is buying my first horse. Right. You're just like, you were so tunnel visioned. You just knew what you wanted. You wanted a horse and you didn't care what it took to get there. Correct. Everything Mm -hmm. else was just like, I love you, but it doesn't matter. And you know, these folks that came to um, the airport, we still have these folks coming every year to the ranch and come visit, right? My parents, like, it's a really cool thing. It's a really cool thing. Yeah. So that's the transitional. If your passion is there, it doesn't matter what's in the way. Actually, nothing's in the way. It just gets pulverized completely. It's not even present. Or at least that's how I felt about it. So then you come to Canada and your parents have this property. They get you your first horse. Mm-hmm. That must have been a huge moment in your life. You must remember that horse, I'm, I'm assuming. Oh, Erica, I think you knew that horse, didn't you? His name was Charlie. I've heard stories about Charlie. I don't think I ever got to meet Charlie, though. Okay. Oh, he was glorious. He was glorious. He was kind of, um, he was a horse, but he was a smaller sized horse. And we always joke because my parents didn't have a clue what they were doing, honestly. And um, they lucked out. Okay, this is, this is our intro to Law for Luck. We're going to hear this a little bit throughout, you know, a lot of these um, conversations. But so here's my parents. They don't have a clue. They end up getting a horse for a little girl that does not really know how to ride. I mean, not very well yet. And they luck out by getting this medium to smallish horse who is still a horse who does all the horrible, naughty things that big horses do, but he does it in like miniature ways. So when you see those big horses rearing up in the air and pawing the big air, that's really dangerous for a child, actually. And it's dangerous for any rider that isn't asking for that movement because it's a horse saying, no, thank you. And I'm panicked. But he did it by just kind of sitting on his haunches and picking up his front legs and he barely even went up in the air. So that was his version of it. And to a little girl, I I was able to piece together all of the behaviors without getting hurt. That's the luck of it. And Charlie did all the naughty things, but just well enough to teach me how to deal with them, but without being panicked and scared. Because my parents always said, you wanted the horse, you go deal with it. (laughs) So that was my introduction of you wanted it. You're going to need to find a solution. It might take you a couple of days, but if he bucks you off or if you fall off, you're going to need to evaluate the situation, do something differently and figure it out. And so once we learned how to ride Charlie, Charlie, you know, was passed on to my sister um, when she was a tiny little girl. And by then he was, you know, he was like, okay, I got it. I know exactly what you all want from me. And so he did exactly the same things to her in even smaller moments. And she is also a brilliant rider. And so Charlie, Charlie goes down in the history of Law for Luck purchase to 
absolute stellar introduction horse for all of our family. And he's the only horse really, truly that my parents really cared about where he went at the end, you know, to finish out the end of his life. And cause that's what he gave to our family. It was amazing. And you know, that ranching life upbringing with Charlie and other horses, you know, once I outgrew Charlie, I got this other horse. Her name was Sassy. And she was a barrel racing horse. And that's what we bought her as. And let me tell you, she was no longer a barrel racing horse because she was a bucking jerk. So, <laughs> so, so I get this horse and now I have just enough skills to be dangerous. But I had to persevere through it because I wanted this, this, this horse, this very athletic horse. And so I really learned how to work with all of that. But we have stories where, you know, you could be flying across a field and Sassy would literally just put on the brakes hardcore, grab a couple bushels of grass and go off again as fast as she could. You know, as a kid, riding through that is insane. And then she was so incredibly fast. She was always going to beat everybody in a race. But what happened when she flew past that last second place horse? She would start bucking like you see in the in in the movies, like bronc bucking. And <laughs> I know you're shaking your head. You're like, who? What parents puts their child on this horse? Oh, Don't I'm well thinking? acquainted with them and I know who they are. And I'm not surprised at that. I'm more thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I love them so much for that. Um, but I'm thinking, or how old were you? You said you outgrew Charlie. So how old were you when you're riding this bucking bronco sassy? 13, 14 years old. Yeah, not mm-hmm. 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And we also figured out when you touched her butt and tickled it a little bit, that would elicit, you know, a frenzy of buck kick, buck, buck. And we ended up doing, started doing it for fun. And this is how I learned how to sit through all this stuff is that, you know, you try things and I wasn't scared to try it. So I guess that's the other piece is that I was never put off by this stuff. I was always like, Ooh, this is an experiment. How hard is she going to buck? So I really learned how to ride through all of this. And she was my next horse about to teach a child, we had the freedom to do all these things, you know? And again, if I fell off and told my parents about it, my dad would just kind of say, okay, all right, you fell off. Great. If you love horses, you guess you're going to have to get back on somehow. Cause I'm not buying you a $50,000 horse that's push button. We don't have that kind of money. That's your perfect horse out in the field. Make it work for you. Make it work for you. And so here we are as children growing up, Horses with halters on, no saddle, no bridle. And we used to race in the fields, the cars that would come in front of the house. (laughs) We used to race campers. We thought that was great. Who was going to win? So I wonder how many campers have videos of us doing this. I don't know. (laughs) And so how many of you at this point, I'm just trying to think of ages here. Yeah. Was it you, Luke and me, Luke and Selena? Yeah. So my brother is two years younger and then Selena would have been seven doing this stuff with us, right? Oh my gosh, really? Seven. Yeah. Oh racing yeah. Campers. Seven years old, racing campers, running in the water, holding onto horses' tails, getting half trampled. Yeah, that was my life. But you know what? Yeah, we paid attention. And our parents had this beautiful way of just letting us do enough to learn ourselves, but obviously knowing we weren't going to go do some outrageous, you know, hopefully really horrible thing, but it was just kind of life lessons. And, you know, don't get stuck on the problem. You need to work on solutions. Like if you have a problem, great. We have problems all day long. Great. So now we've found the problem. We no longer need to discuss it. How did we get there? And how do we get out of it? And there's always 50 ways to get out of it. So even if number one try doesn't work, 
next one, try the next one, try the next one. And that's a mentality that was given to me. I don't know how, I don't know if I can recreate it, but I you live am, it. I live you it live and it. I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for it. You know, I see that in your family all the time where problems, I remember one of the first times I came to the ranch and there was some sort of problem and I can't remember specifically what it was, but you know, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, this is going to be, this is going to wreck their day. Like I, I just remember thinking like, okay, this is, this is going to be a tough day. Everybody's, I was just, I had all these expectations of what that was going to look like. And you guys blew me out of the water because everybody just went, okay, well, that sucks. Now, how are we going to figure this out? And like you said, it just became brainstorming of how they're going to figure out all these ways to deal with the problem and just started kind of executing them, talking about them. And over the course of the day, it got fixed and everybody was happy and go lucky. And there was no like, woe is me victim sense. It was just, oh, well, that's a pain. Now let's go deal with it. And it's really cool to see how all of you and your family operate like that on a daily basis. Like not a lot gets you guys down. You guys are just constantly in motion and just looking for, for possibilities, looking for fixes, and you just always figure it out. And the other story that I think is really cool. And, you know, um, you've mentioned it and Luke's mentioned it, but we are not other people. And that phrase, I don't know when to say it originated in your 4-H story. Maybe it didn't, but that's always when it kind of comes together is that story of your family's experience in 4-H and the we are not other people. So tell us about that because I love that. Yeah, I would love to talk about that. That is literally like the this story highlights how the mentality of how a lot of the things are approached, you know, in my life. From, from how I learned that so this is all my parents. Okay. Like this is all my parents. So there's this program called 4-H and it's a program for children aged up to, I want to say 18 or 20, something like that. I left earlier because of school and everything that you can have a project and you have to follow it through almost an entire year. You have to do certain things. Okay. So you could have a market animal, which is any animal that is used for food. But then there's also the um, reproduction area, right? So cows have babies. And so you can do that. Or you can do horse, which is a riding project. Or you can do photography or horticulture. Um, anything that's like building, growing, evaluating things. What you also have to do is you have to have a record book. You have to write down all the financial pieces. You have to do public speaking. You have to uh, judge other products and projects. You have to learn to work within your group. In our district at the big 4-H show and sale, which is the big end, parents were not allowed to help their children. Listen to that again. A nine-year-old child with a big, beefy, 1,400-pound 4-H market steer cannot have a parent help him or her. So you know what that means. It's not one man alone. It's because the club, the seniors, are given the responsibility and the task. They must help their younger counterparts. So the Luke and the Monas of the world as seniors, we couldn't just show up for our senior show. We had to show up for the junior show because we were tasked with walking beside that young child and making sure they get in the ring okay. So this 4-H club, this 4-H situation, I got introduced to it when I was about, I think, 11 or 12. And I was went to a 4-H meeting with my girlfriend at the time, because I was staying with her for a night and I came home and I said to my parents, I want to do 4-H. And my parents are like, what's that? And I said, well, I don't know, but I'm going to get a pig. because She has a pig. <laughs> so, so my parents are like, 
okay, great. Let's get a pig. So we got a pig and I did one year. Um, Luke and I did a couple years of pig 4-H. And then I was like, now nah, I need to get into the cow situation. And my parents are running a cattle ranch. Don't forget. So this is not something that's super new to them. But so we get into the steer world and the steer world, the beef 4-H is like, uh, not because I think this is right, but it's just a fact. The beef club is like the king club of 4-H. Everybody wants to have, if you have beef, it's like you're, you're amazing. And I, I'd like to challenge that, of course, because I think everything's important. But as a kid, that's just the way it was. And it's, it's still something that is alive and well today. And so after one year of 4-H, what happens? We're dead last. <laughs> we are dead last because we just kind of did what everybody else was doing. And we get home and my parents are like, hey, while we're in it for the experience, we need to grow. What can we do differently? How can we, do you guys want to do better? You want to keep going with this? We're like, yeah, we love it. Okay, great. Well, let's figure out what other people are doing. And so we kind of look around and then we're like, wow, we have Alberta, like those people are winning like crazy things and go spend a week with those people and whatever. And so the catchphrase arose where it was like, we are not other people. So when the masses are doing something and you get last because you did the same thing as them, we are not other people. So we are not going to continue doing that even that's, if that's the standard. We're going to go find the few little people who are doing it differently and are having great success. And we're going to do what they do. And if we bomb it again, whatever, we'll go find another solution and do it differently again until we find what works. And so the catchphrase was, you know, I'd come home and I would say, you know, I want to do this today or something. And my parents were like, no, I'm really sorry, but we have to rock pick and stick pick today because we have to work this property. Yeah, but my friends get to go to the mall every weekend, right? You know, the next words out of my mother's mouth. We are not other people. And Erica, what does this property look like today? Oh my gosh. I don't even recognize. I've seen the before and after pictures and it's unrecognizable. It's beautiful. It's stunning. There's so much heart and love and you can't help but show up on this property and just feel alive. And it's the energy that your parents have put into this property. Like it's absolutely incredible. One of the first times I came to the ranch, the first time I came to the ranch and it was like, my jaw was on the ground, just the feeling, the beauty, unreal, but so authentic. Like it's not overdone. It's just this true to you guys, beautiful piece of property that has so much heart and soul in it. And they've worked really hard to get it there. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to highlight that piece where we were some of the only children in Horsefly where we grew up that had to work with our parents, picking rocks, picking sticks, doing this. When it was hay season, we weren't going nowhere. And it was like, yeah, but you know, my friends and this, that, and they all have Game Boys and we want a Game Boy. We are not other people. We have a vision and we don't have money to hire a gardener and hire someone to do this and hire someone to do that. We bought a property, which was in shambles, and we have a vision and we need to put in the work. And you reap the benefits of that at a later time. If everybody else is at the lake and you have work to do, you're not going to be everybody else and go to the lake. You're going to go do your work. And when it's your time to go to the lake, whether the people are there or not, you will go. And that was one of the most beautiful things my parents could ever teach me because there are other people that think this way too. And I just read a quote from Mark Twain and it says, in a roundabout way, it says, if you find yourself siding and always being with the majority of people, you might need to rethink that. 
And so, you know, if everybody's always going to the mall on Sunday or if all the kids are doing certain things, it's okay to stop and go, how can I do things differently? That's okay. If you have a vision and you have a goal, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. And I love that mentality because now I get to have my own property and I get to go stick pick and rock pick and do all the things I hated doing. Oh my gosh, did I hate it? Okay. I'm not going to lie. As a kid, I didn't realize this mentality had any purpose at all. Straight up. I hated it. I mean, I loved my upbringing, right? Like, but when it was like, Hey, y'all, we got to go rock pick. I wasn't like, yay. Hooray. I, I was a grumpy little teenage girl that was like, no, you know, your brother feels the same way to some degree. Like, you know, he remembers being frustrated when your mom would say that we're not other yep. people. Of course, you're going to be frustrated as a teenager. But now that he is so proud of that mentality and he brings it into our family all the time. And, you know, we'll be talking about something to do with where we're going as a family or making a decision. And, you know, I'm usually the one that's like, well, you know, a lot of people have done this or I'm not really sure. And Luke always pulls it out. Well, we're not other people. Yes. Thank you. Thank you honey, for grounding me again, you know, and, but it, there's so much freedom in that. And when he says that to me, I yes. just go, yes. Okay. Let's just take a moment. And who are we as a family and let's reassess. And, you know, this is, this is the journey of alignment. We're not other people. We're going to be aligning with who we are. So whenever we talk about alignment, that's what that is, is not just yes. following the crowd and doing what everybody else is doing and selling yourself short or, not listening to yourself. It's go, it's honoring who you are, what your vision is and, and honoring that, even if it's completely maybe unrealistic or not what everybody else is doing, or people are going to judge the heck out of you, um, getting to stay true to you and remembering that you're not other people will keep you getting you where you want to go. And so I'm so grateful for that mentality and how, you know, your parents have been able to share that with you and your brothers and sisters. And it's such a blessing. Oh, it's such a blessing. And you know, this, this line has just been without even knowing it, you know, this mentality has just guided my life without me knowing it at the time. But now looking back, I can piece that together, you know, just sitting here with you having this conversation. When we bought this property, I had a vision for it, but it started quite a few years ago when a very naughty horse in the barn I was riding at had to find a new owner and its current owner wasn't able to ride it. And the trainer was kind of like, yeah, well, I can ride it, but what purpose does this serve? I don't want to pay for a horse that, you know, she has her own horses and her own aspirations. And so she asked me if I wanted him. And I said, uh, I don't want to buy a horse. She's like, no, he just needs a home. And so he's naughty and nobody wants him. Okay. But he's huge and he's black. And I'm like, well, what have I got to lose? Let's just say yes. So we are not other people. Other people will not take on this horse, but I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to try it. So I get on and I start riding this horse and I'm just noticing that I have to do things differently than every other rider that's been on him because I see now where that has led him to be, which is everything that was done to him. And the way it was done and the accepted way of riding has led to him saying, no, I don't want to be with humans. So we're talking about me riding him. And literally, if you let go of the reins, he's booking it to the exit gate. The accepted way of riding is smack, smack, pull, pull, 
we have a job. Let's get on with it. You're just going to do as you're told. And then he would get more amped. I let the realization sink in of, okay, wow, I have to really humble myself and say, this animal does not want to be part of a relationship that I'm asking it to be in. Try doing that in your life (laughs) with your dog, your horse, your child, your husband. When we start taking situations and allowing them to sink in instead of just micro-controlling them more to get what we want out of it, it opens up the door to an entirely different world. What most of us have been conditioned to do is to keep that door shut, whack, whack. You just bully them into doing it anyway. And on we roll because we're getting the solutions we want. But are you getting the solution you want knowing you bullied that person into it? Are you awake to that idea? So I became very understanding that this animal did not want to be a part of this relationship. It would rather run to the exit gate at any given moment and run away from me and from everybody else. And I went, okay, I got to throw it all out the window. So I began working with the relationship on this horse and I did exactly everything differently than what all the big trainers were even telling me to do. I have emails of people being like, no, I know that horse. This is what you must do. And I did the exact opposite, Erica. Hold them tight. Give them a Z. You know, you need to, you know, I mean, I could go on. These are all equestrian terms that maybe are, you know, a little too much for everybody. But the point is, I used my, we are not other people. What is my feel inside of me what this animal needs? And so I gave him his autonomy to make his own decisions. And you know what happened? A year later, by continuously doing this, I was 35 weeks pregnant with my first son doing a little jumping course on this horse and the buyers grabbed him right then and there and took him home because he had calmed down. He was a lovely creature. It was a full disclosure sale for, you know, not even close to what he was worth, but he showed me what he wanted to do. And that was the only home that he was going to go to. And he was so safe for me to ride at 35 weeks pregnant. And that guided me to what I'm doing now, which is I take in some of these horses that are just too much for some people and I just let them be and I do different things and it is a whole new world and I am loving it. But I, I also, oh, <laughs> like I have chills because the world needs more of this. Like you said, not just in relationship with horses, but in general, like I, I just, agree. There's so much beauty in what you're saying. I'm just having this moment of you really just connected with the horse. You started seeing past just behaviors and seeing the heart of the horse. Behavior is a language. And instead of just sitting there tuning a behavior, you started looking at the heart of the horse and he felt that. And then he started to build that trust with you. And then what happened? You got some of the behaviors that you wanted, but you didn't do it in this like beat the horse, trick him, manipulate him kind of way. You connected at a soul level with this horse and saw the beauty in him, all sides of him, sides of him that other people hated, right? And just wanted to ignore or shove away or beat out of him. And you think about that in all relationships for just a sec. Just think about that. Like if we just see people, behavior is a language, but let's see what's underneath all of that. The connections that we can make with people and how we can see them in a different light. And then what can come of that? You turn that horse into like an animal that nobody wanted 
to a sale and riding this horse at 35 weeks pregnant. That's how much you trusted this animal. And that's incredible. That mindset. Oh, Oh, it was just, it was, it's just, it's beautiful. And I love that you made that you connected that because it's not just in the horse world, you know, I'm trying, I see now that, you know, this horse, his name was Pele. He, oh, I don't want to cry, but I'm having this moment. He showed me that. He showed me that this is not isolated to the horse world. This is everywhere around us every time. And there's another quote that I read about a year ago. And I just, I try to keep this in mind all the time because I think it puts this all together. What is the value of yes, when no is the only option? When essentially you're being pushed in a direction where you could say, I, I don't want to do it, but that puts you in such a horrible position that you end up saying yes. What is the value of actually saying yes? Is that the There's no more value. Pleasing? 100%. It's the definition of a lot of things that we do. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about this. I think that there's a lot that we could discuss about that. It um, is. But so what the way I'm going to bring it back to the horse moment is if I make him jump, a, a, a jump and I have to hold him so tight in his mouth and I have to wear spurs and I have to have a whip and we go around and we jump like that. Yes, he said yes to jumping the jump, but he only did that because he was going to get spanked and hurt. And for some reason in life, I got him to a point where I could just trot him around in a field on a nice loose rein, no spurs, no whip. And I could just gradually start the direction of a jump. And he happily jumped it because he truly authentically was like, I'll do that for you today. Not because if I don't do it, I'm going to get hurt. He just went, yeah, you know what? I'll carry your butt around because I like you, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that, that mentality, if you keep that in the back of your mind, it can guide you down a different life path. And then you also know that when you give other people around you the option of saying no, authentically no, without judgment, you are not the micromanaging person. Your life actually gets to take a direction that's more authentic that way. It's, your life isn't happening because you have such a tight grip on it. Your life is happening because it's happening and your energy and your authenticity is driving it. And then you can be happy with your decisions and you can be happy with the way it's going. Now I'm on a totally different tangent, aren't I? No, but it Sorry. all ties in. Be- no, no, no. This ties in absolutely beautifully. It's the idea. It's the idea of like surrendering yes. instead of trying to control everything. Yes. We want to control so many things. And, you know, a lot of what you say relates to me in terms of parenting, because, you know, I really love like the idea of conscious parenting and all of the things that you've just said about the relationship with your horse apply to parenting. Like in the work that I've been doing about, you know, they call it conscious parenting, but is, is that idea of building that connection, appreciating them for who they are truly authentically not controlling them and putting what you want on them all the time, because then they get resentful, they get their backs up and they're not doing it because they genuinely want to do it, but because you are threatening something as the big person. Right. And I mean, I could go into all of this because that's part of my, my love and joy, but you know, and you know what, what I know every day 
I think about you because I wish I could say I was that as good as that with my own kids. Like I'm trying to translate that whole ideology onto me with my kids. And you've helped me so much with that. I'm on that journey. You're like miles ahead, which is so great. Um, but it truly, it's that, and, 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 and I honestly want to challenge everybody that even in relationship with friends, relationships at work, all of those things, if you keep that in the back of your mind somehow, you know, you can go down a path that is going to give you back everything you've ever asked for. Oh my gosh. Yes. Because again, part of this is, you know, we've talked about this before is your expectation management, right? Expectations play into this, but that juicy, authentic way that you get to have your life when you can just, just surrender to the experience is when the beauty and the joy and the ease shows up because we're not just trying to force something to happen. And then the cost of that is the other person's integrity, potentially dignity and the things that they can bring to the table, right? Because we've squashed it. We've squashed it. So this is where we get, you know, with this mindset, we can honor the beauty in every creature around us. As long as we are okay to let go, we just have to let go of that tight grip of controlling everything and having an expectation. Because often when we do that, don't you think things often turn out just even better than what you could have imagined when you can let go? A hundred thousand percent. Absolutely. This could be another whole hour of discussion. (laughs) Gosh. Okay. There's just already been so much in this. So I'm going to end with our question. What would your life look like if you were fully unleashed and dared to dream? Okay. So before I get all, you know, tear evoking, I got to throw this out there. You guys, I would have a pit bull rescue on my property straight up. I would call California and I would be like, send me all the rank pit bulls you got because we're going to bring them up here and they get to live the life of joy and they're just going to be happy dappy and everything's going to be great. And um, so that's like this weirdo dream of mine. And it may never happen, honestly. It's just in the back of my mind somewhere. Um, <laughs> but really, I am on my dream property. I am doing what I love 50 to 60% of the time. And one of my biggest things is I want to share this. I want to share this feeling of what I feel when I'm with horses and when I get to be free in nature. Um, just to paint the picture a little bit, I'm surrounded by fields and trees and we have this beautiful spot where the driveway is like an S-curve. So from the driveway, you can't really see anything. You just see a driveway. So I don't see anybody unless they actually come to my house. So I don't have a busy road. I don't have any of that. I literally am surrounded by trees. And so I just feel like every day I'm just like plopped out into nature the minute I walk on my deck and I get to look at all my horses uh, around my house. And I, there's this need inside of me to share this with people. And so that's what that unleashed piece looks like for me. If I'm at the capacity where I can have people here and have the setup here to, you know, allow people to connect with horses in a way that is safe and organic, that is being unleashed for me. Whatever these horses can give, and I know they can. Sorry, you guys, I'm getting all emotional again, but I have two or three horses here that we're going to end up in some really crappy places. And um, one of them 
I know like he wants to give back to people and people connect with him because they can feel that he's also had painful experiences in his life. But now he is calm and happy. And I know that he can help people with that way better than any human can help them. And if I can facilitate that, that's what I want to do. So I got to leave you with that. (laughs) I got chills again and it's so beautiful. And you're unleashing, like you're, you're still in the process of unleashing as, as we all are. And as what you've created in your life, just listening to your story today, you're going to get there. You're going to get there. I don't doubt it. You're going to make it happen. You get to surrender and show up and figure out how your steps are going to, what steps you need to take to get there. Because I think the world needs more of this. This is your gift. Your gift is with these animals connecting to the animals. And you've always had a way with people. I mean, there's a reason your family called you the social worker from whatever age that was too. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, you know, you have the capacity to do this. This is just going to be a matter of how it's going to come together and you got to run full bore for it. This is your passion and you got to go with the blinders on like you did when you jumped on the plane, leaving everything behind to get that first horse. This is the next step. This is your adult version. Now you are so capable of this. And I, this makes me so excited that you have this vision because I've always said to you, I feel like you're meant for more. And that was never in a way that you weren't enough, but your capacity that you've been building over the years with your life experience is leading you to this beautiful place where you're going to get to transform animals and you're going to get to transform human lives. And I believe you're going to blend the two of those together in a brand new, beautiful way because you're not like other people. Aww. Uh, now we all get to hold you accountable. Yes, you do. Making this so happen. This and I've got a whole <laughs> bunch of people that are listening to this that are going to hold you up and keep you on this track because it's a gift. You're a gift. Thank you. Have a good day, girl. You too. Thank you for the conversation. It's always, always a pleasure. Always so good, isn't it? Oh man, I love that girl. Mona's passion for life and horses has always just been so infectious. And I've always appreciated how she sees the world so differently. And now I know it's because of that phrase, we are not other people. I love this phrase because it reminds me that I don't have to do what everyone else is doing. And I get to be free to be me. The other thing that I love is the idea to stop controlling everything. And we just need to focus on connection instead. When we surrender in life to connecting with ourselves and others first, then we'll be happier with the outcomes because they're coming from an authentic place, not one of fear, manipulation, and limitations. I think when we're really connected to ourselves and others is when we really open ourselves up to possibilities that we didn't even know existed. And so with that, I want everybody to take a big breath in and just know that you are amazing and I'm hoping that you have a great week. Join us on our Facebook page and continue unleashing with us. See you next time.